This is SSN. Story Studio Network. Our housing market is slow. The rising interest rates have worked. So if you're thinking of buying, it's a good time. If you can find something. Because while interest rates have led to lower prices, we still have a problem. And that's supply. Our listing inventory is down. In fact, it's down 11% from this time last year. So, we still have the same problem we had during the boom, a lack of supply. The shortage of housing is a problem that won't be solved overnight. But we have to start somewhere. And the Ontario government thinks it has a solution, and it's called the More Homes Built Faster Act. I'm Desmond Brown, and today on Sold in the Six, we're going to take a look at the provincial government's aggressive plan, a plan that's also very controversial. Rob Benzie is the Toronto Star's Queen's Park Bureau Chief, and he broke the story about the government's new plan to bring more housing to the province. Rob, welcome back to Sold in the Six. Nice to be with you, Des. So, Rob, the Ford government promised to initiate the building of one and a half million homes, 1.5 million homes over the next 10 years. That's about 150,000 homes a year. Now, can this new act actually help them accomplish this goal? Well, does that's what they're hoping because you make a very good point. They have to raise and uh, they have to build an average of 150,000 new homes every single year for the next decade to reach that mm-hmm. 1.5 million target. Well, the best year of housing starts in the last uh, 35 years was uh, last year, and they only built 100,000. So they have to do mm-hmm. 50% more than their best year. Uh, every single year on average. So, and they they tell me they're only going to do about 100,000 housing starts next year. So that means that one of those years they're going to have to do 200,000 to get that 150 average. So it's uh, it's it's a huge challenge. And that's why they have so many different elements to this plan. Yeah. And you know, the other thing that really boggles my mind that them wanted to hit 150,000 a year. I mean, it's a great plan, but we have labor shortages right now. Um, we have a, a rise in interest rates where a lot of developers have actually put projects on hold. Yeah, exactly. Does this is the problem? They've got there's something like three hundred and fifty thousand unfilled jobs in Ontario. Many of them are in the construction trades, uh, mm-hmm. carpenters and and drywallers, all these kinds of things, bricklayers, folks that you need to build homes. And you've got that combined with uh, rising interest rates. Uh, skyrocketing inflation. So a lot of people are kind of, you know, waiting and, and seeing, you know, this, you know, this industry better than anybody. And mm-hmm. th- this is, this is, this is a really uncertain time. And it, but the government promised to, in the 2000, in the June 2nd, 2022 election, they promised uh, to do this. And it, it, the, they know they have 2 million people coming to Ontario, moving here in the next decade. They have to house them somewhere. So that's why they made all of these changes with zoning so that you can have triplexes and duplexes in every street in Ontario, which is something mm-hmm. that, you know, in a lot of communities, we're used to it here in Toronto, but in a lot of communities, it's been single family homes and that's that. So I think they've really, they're really hoping that they can increase density, that they can also uh, free up more land. That's why they've done this controversial thing with the green belt and allowing yeah. land swaps, which is a total U-turn from what they had said before. But oh, they, boy. yeah, but they, they, and they, they don't, they're, they're, they concede that they've changed policies, but they say they had to because we just have so many people moving to Ontario and, and there's just so much growth. 
Yeah, like as you mentioned, there are a lot of elements to this. Uh, let's start with the immigration. Yeah. So Ford mentioned it uh, in the in the news conference this yeah. week when he was challenged about uh, taking away parts of the green belt. So let's go into the immigration. So we're looking at about two million people coming into the province of Ontario over the next over the next ten years, and let's just hope some of them. <laughs> our drywallers and carpenters yeah, yeah, and exactly. people that we can use in our labor force. But um, most of them, about a quarter of them are going to end up in Toronto and Ottawa. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, so the, the and the recent announcement by the federal liberal government that, that Canada would be working at, would be welcoming about 500,000 people a year. Uh, Ford welcomed that because Ontario has this labor shortage. Uh, and he figures, even though Ontario is only 40% of the population of Canada will will probably take 60% of the immigrants and you know you and I are kids of immigrants we know that this is a this is a, how this province has always grown it's through immigration it's through people coming from all over the world and starting businesses here starting their families here and contributing and i think that's something the government here at queens park knows it's something that the federal government knows the problem is uh, these challenges of housing people, moving them. I mean, we our, our, our transit systems are still not great. Our highways are already clogged. Oh, they're, they're building new ones, but th those yeah. Highway 413, which is, of course, the big Milton to, to um, Vaughan 60-kilometer highway, that won't be built for years and years and years. So, I mean, they, they, they've, they've, got, they've made all of these promises and plans, but a lot of the stuff that they've that they're announcing is is many many years away the ontario subway line for example that goes from yeah. ontario place to the science center that's that's going to be many years before it's completed it is and you know it's great that they're looking so far ahead because this is how we develop cities we understand that and the city of toronto being a large city i mean we've always wanted to be a world-class city and these are the growing pains that we have to go through to be a london to be a new york city but yeah oh my goodness is our our transit we need a strong transit system. And even David Miller's plan when he was in office uh, many years ago uh, was a great plan. Yeah. It was actually linking every corner of the city, but then the McGuinty government pulled the plug on that, on the, uh, on the capital spending on that. And I remember how frustrated like, I was covering city hall at the time and how frustrated uh, David Miller was about that. Yeah. So we're so far behind. And speaking of the city, um, we talk about obstacles that, or barriers that have um, gotten in the way for housing. And one of them is the city of Toronto's red tape yes. and the nimbyism yeah. that we have here. Like you had mentioned, like 70% of the zoning on neighborhood streets in the city of Toronto is for single family. Yeah. So now the province says they'll override the municipal zoning to allow for multi-unit um, homes, such as duplexes and triplexes. But only as long as the actual footprint of the house is not. Yeah, uh, it doesn't get bigger. Yeah. No, yeah. So, so no extra floors, uh, no additions or anything like that. Maybe this will help. Maybe it's a start. Well, I mean, we already know in Toronto, for example, there are probably tens of thousands of illegal apartments. You know, they're, they're not, they're mm -hmm. not, they're the, a basement flat that's there, but it's not necessarily zoned as such. Um, so I think that this is a smart thing. But the problem, in, and I've talked to Municipal Affairs Minister Steve Clark about this at length, is nimbyism. And also he calls it banana republic, like build absolutely nothing anywhere uh, ever, whatever the, whatever the, <laughs> however it goes. And, and the nimbyism, which is not in my backyard, is not, act, it's interesting to me, Des, it's not uh, ideological because you have people on the far left and people on the far right who don't want mm -hmm. anything built near them. 
Uh, I live, you know, where I live in downtown Toronto, uh, near uh, Dundas and Ossington, there were people who are very unhappy with six-story uh, apartment buildings being built on uh, on Ossington, even though these are the same people who have signs up in their in front of their two million dollar townhouses saying that uh, they want uh, people to be allowed to live in in park encampments because you know they're <laughs> they're woker than woke or something you know they're 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 virtue signaling on that and then but they don't want an actual apartment building built nearby so that people can have affordable housing or, or whatever it's it's a really problematic thing and just as you have downtown progressives like that you have people in the suburbs who don't want duplexes and triplexes. Same they same. may be more conservative politically, and they don't. But they're the same. They're nimbyists, and and both Doug Ford and and Steve Clark have really, really tackled that. And that and and that takes some guts on their part. The problem is at local councils all across Ontario, nimbyism usually wins out. You know. Yeah. <laughs> It sure does. We're going to we're going to protect our neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah. From things like that and people like yeah. that, aren't yes, we? Exactly. Uh, and some yeah, of it, it's, yes, it's, exactly. Exactly. It's incredible, though. Like you said, the far left and the far right actually come together on these issues. Yeah, they sure do. Yeah, they sure do. And especially here in, you know, left leaning Toronto, where it's po- politically, federally, we are pretty well all red. Yeah. Um, municipally. Um, lots of lots of new Democrats. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, yeah. yeah. Yeah, lots of new Democrats as well, and provincially as well. Yeah. So um, we we have a long way to go with those attitudes, and that leads me into um, another element that the provincial government is giving, and that is the strong mayor powers in Ottawa and Toronto, where you know the mayors are going to be able to make decisions on their own as long as they're deemed what they call a provincial priority. Yeah. And let's talk about those provincial priorities. Well, yeah, well, you know, Desmond, the, the, those priorities would be things like affordable housing, uh, things mm-hmm. like transit, things like uh, infrastructure, um, highways, roads. I mean, it's the kinds of things that they don't want to get. You mentioned the city of Toronto's red tape. One of the reasons why they gave uh, John Tory, or they gave the mayor of the, of the city, whoever it would be, not happened to be John Tory. One of the reasons they gave it to 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 Tory is that Doug Ford was a city councillor. Uh, when mm-hmm. his brother Rob Ford was was the mayor, and Ford always tells us he couldn't believe how slow things moved at City Hall. You've covered City Hall. I've covered City Hall. We've seen it up mm-hmm. close. Things do uh, can move really slowly there, and I think that that's something that they are concerned about. Now, on the other side of it, the flip side, people who are not happy with the strong mayor powers for Ottawa and Toronto will say, "Well, wait a minute. Local councillors sometimes put the brakes on bad things, the, you know, and they and they and they balance, you know, uh, the mayor." Um, but hmm. I, I think I, I think it, it has always baffled me, just even as a, as a reporter covering it, that the mayor of Toronto only was one vote at city council, even yeah, though exactly yeah, what I was yeah, going to bring yeah, up next. Even, yeah, even though the mayor was is voted by everyone. You've got city councillors who get elected with 5000 votes. The mayor of Toronto gets 400,000 votes. So mm-hmm. like uh, it's it, it's it's it doesn't make any sense that that the, the mayor would have less power or, or would have exactly the same power as just another councillor. He's he or she is not the head councillor. They are the mayor That's and right. they're directly elected. And no one, no politician in Canada gets more votes directly than the mayor of Toronto. The mayor of Ottawa, same thing. Mar- Mark uh, Sutcliffe, the new mayor of Ottawa, he was elected by, you know, more than 100,000 people. City councillors in Ottawa, some of them got six thousand votes. So it's wow. you know it's not fair that really. Okay, well, and that leads me to the mayor again, and how the mayor can get anything through 
or any of his agenda through. And, yeah. you know, like you, you worked city hall as I did and you would see his advisors going yeah. to the different counselors offices to see if he could drum up support on different issues. So when they did bring it in front of count, uh, in front of council for the vote, they knew they could get it through. It was really interesting to watch it in play. Yeah, it is a very interesting way of doing democracy. And you can make an argument that it's a really fair way of doing it, except that uh, it, it, it gives an outsized importance to certain counselors. Like I always used to blow my mind when you see a counselor voting or just determining or being the deciding vote on an issue that had nothing to do with their ward, you know, that was mm -hmm. miles from their ward. And I always wondered about that. And 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 it was always a quid pro quo. It's like, oh, I'll vote for this on or for your thing here, but you have to vote for my thing there. Some people think that's a great way to, to you know to make the hot dogs to you know grind the meat, yeah. and that's how you do it. And maybe it is. I, I don't know, but it's 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 not always the most efficient way to do things. And especially when you have a mayor who is popularly elected. I mean, here in Toronto, you know, I, it's so funny. I read in 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 various papers, including my own complaints about you know John Tory this, John Tory that. He got sixty two percent of the vote. And won every single ward in the in the city. Now he had no competition, really. Again, but yeah, but the exactly. fact that he but the fact that he didn't have any competition isn't on him. It's on the people who are his supposed rivals. So if they didn't think that it was that it was it was prudent to field someone against him, I don't understand how a council. I don't know. I I mean I I don't know which councillors on, on on city council who are big opponents of of John Tory. Maybe Josh Matlow or something like that. Matlow Matlow got the most votes I think of any city councillor got like 20,000 votes, something like that. But it's not like uh, he's the head of the opposition party or anything no. like that. You know, he's a, he's one vote on a you know 26 member council. Exactly. He's got to hope that every that yeah. those who with the same attitudes as he has yeah. or opinions follow him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you talked about. Um, and it's, I'm, I'm going off topic here quickly, but it just brought back a memory I had of Rob Ford when I was working uh, for CTV and going out to his... Um, his his ward out in Etobicoke and you talked about how you know uh some counselors not wanting to you know get involved with issues that aren't in their ward or they would get involved with them and like you said help you know help me with this and I help you with that but Rob was really interesting so we'd go out and we'd interview him and after the interview he would give uh me and my camera person his card and said if you ever need me please give me a call and I remember uh, one of the camera guys that I was with at the time, he said, well, you know, but I live in Scarborough. And he says, and Rob says, I don't care. You live in Toronto. And if there's anything I can help you with, you just get in touch with me. And um, I mean, there was a couple of ways you could take that. It was that number one, he really, really meant it from yeah. the bottom of his heart and as a really good public servant. And number two, he was running for mayor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, probably both. And mm -hmm. I think, and I think, I mean, his brother, the premier, still gives out his phone number to people. It's not the most efficient use of his time, and it drives not his office all. crazy. Um, <laughs> but I, but I think some politicians need that. They need that feedback from real people, and I think that's not a bad thing to have real people say things to you. We saw this with the, the with the QP the QP strike. I think Ford was convinced by a lot of people, including union leaders um, who were calling him and saying, listen, uh, invoking the notwithstanding clause to ram through this contract and, 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 and uh, impose it on these workers is not smart. And that's one of the reasons why he backed off. So I think there's it can be good and it can be bad. The bad part of it is if you get uh, an orchestrated campaign of people who are phoning you and 
they give you, you know, they're lobbying you basically. And that's not necessarily the best way to govern. You should sometimes just govern because of your principles. Um, But uh, on the housing thing, I know that he talks to a lot of people who tell him that uh, we need more housing. Houses are so expensive. Des, you and I have mm-hmm. talked about this so many times over the last 20 odd years about how yeah. house prices just keep going up and up and up. And a starter home that was a starter home for 300 grand in 1999 is, you know, 1.6 million now. And that's not a starter home anymore. I mean, at least it is in price, but it isn't in practicality and reality. Yeah. No, exactly. So the city of Toronto is basically under construction, traffic problems everywhere, but you still want to buy a home in the city. So if you want to buy that home, it's really, really important to get pre-qualified for a mortgage. And I recommend that you speak to my mortgage guy, Jason Georgiopoulos of Dominion Lending. Jason will get you the best rates because he has 30 lenders to choose from and the best terms available to go along with it. To get in touch with Jason, you can email him at jasong at dominionlending.ca. Okay, another barrier. Um, let's back on topic here um, with um, this act that they brought in was the conservation authorities. Mm-hmm. So in my experience, build, uh, selling a home on a, on a ravine is really attractive for some people and it's not that attractive for others number one the number one reason being is that if somebody wants to do a renovation they would have to go through the toronto conservation authority and that could sometimes tie up their plans to get permits and everything like for more than a year so the ford government is saying look it the conservation authorities should concentrate on their core mandate and that's watershed management. Yes. The rest, let's just, you know, let people build, let people do additions. Well, I mean, and this is the, this is the, there are a lot of people concerned about this, environmentalists and others, that, that overriding uh, conservation authorities could be, could be problematic. The government mm-hmm. co- uh, counters that by saying, look, these things were formed in the 1950s after Hurricane Hazel, uh, because people had bid, built homes on floodplains on the, on the, on the Humber River. And, you know, 80 mm-hmm. people died, 81 people died, something like that in Hurricane Hazel. And uh, they died because there was no planning. And, you know, it was just people built houses wherever they felt like it. And I think so the conservation authorities, that, that their number one role is watershed management. So they are there to make sure that you don't build somewhere that could be flooded or could cause flooding elsewhere. Um, I think they have in and you and I've talked about this before. It, it, they have they have. Um, over the years, there's been a bit of mandate creep, right? So that they've become yeah. almost like a uh, like a stakeholder uh, group that can 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 be used by people who don't want a development to slow that development. And and you know, and I think th- what the government is doing is is trying to fight that. It's causing some controversy, understandably, because some people are saying, "Well, wait a minute, you know, this could lead to flooding. This could lead to." Uh, other problems that we haven't thought about, especially at a time when we know climate change is a problem. So I think this has been controversial. Um, it sure is. But but uh, I, I'm I mean we talked to Clark at length about this, and he said uh, he said I he said well, there's 34 of 
of these conservation authorities around the province. He has a bunch in his own riding, and he says they do important and valuable work, but he said they have to focus on their core mandate. It can't just be a place for uh, people who want, for NIMBYs to, to go to, I guess, and, and use them to slow something from being built. Yeah, but I, I can see the concern about the, you know, infringing on the environment and uh, the, the long-term effects here. If you do start, you know, just building whatever you want on a, on a ravine lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly, you know? exactly, exactly. Like there do, there have to be some controls and they would argue, I think that there, those controls will remain, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and there's going to be a limit on the kind of public meetings that you can have, which that raises alarm bells for some folks. You know, saying, mm-hmm. well, wait a minute, you know, because we've seen you, we've both seen or, or covered over the years how ratepayer groups can be really, really effective at stopping something from getting. Oh, done. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, that brings me to or brings us to the Green Belt. Now, you know, I think back to when Dalton McGinty uh, deemed that there would be no building on the Oak Ridges Moraine. Yeah. Do you remember that? Right. And um, I'm just wondering, we'll, we'll get into where you know exactly what we're talking about or, or geographically where this green belt um is going to be built on or, or what uh, steve clark has done so this is a broken promise yeah um, it's a, it's a flip a month it's a ago flip he told you, yeah yeah right a, yeah. but a month ago he told you there yeah. are no plans to open up the green belt for development yeah and that all changed about a week ago and and they had specifically said does that they would not have land swaps which is where mm-hmm. i i i i i can develop land that's on the green belt and in exchange i have to buy other land elsewhere and add it to the green belt so what yeah. but they've they've changed their their tune on that and uh steve clark said it's because the housing demands are so great and now they argue that they're actually making the green belt bigger because they're they're it's about 7500 acres that's going to be opened up to development but they're going to add about 9500 acres so it's you know, they figure it's mm. a net gain of 2000 acres now yeah Oh, uh, 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 yeah. Opponents say, well, wait a minute. Yeah. And, and where who owns these 15 plots of land and who's adjacent to these 15 plots of land all across the green uh-huh. belt that are going to be developed? So there's a lot of questions. And the, the, stay tuned to the Toronto Star. We're going to have a lot more about that in the, in the weeks ahead. But uh, I think there's concern um, about about that. And, 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 it's, a, and it's a huge uh, broken promise because. They specifically said, and Ford, before he became leader of the Progressive Conservatives in 2018, specifically said, after he was caught on video saying that he would build, uh, he would open up the green belt, he, he said he wouldn't do it uh, after he was caught saying he would. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised because I've seen how he approaches heritage. Yeah. And heritage buildings, you know, we've, there have been a lot of battles already in the city of Toronto, um, you know, against the provincial government just going in there with their wrecking ball. Yeah, well, like, like the yeah the the um the the, the one near the uh, waterfront, yeah that that's yeah. The, the big yeah. uh, the fine the the um the fine. I, I see refine, them. Yeah. I can see yeah. it right now. Yeah, you're that, looking at yeah, 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 right across yeah. the street from it, actually, yeah. right down there at the bottom of Bayview. Yeah. Um. So, when you you talked about who's adjacent to these, can you just explain a little bit more? Are you talking about the developers who have already developed next to them? Well, or who owns or who who is who stands to benefit. And we don't know. Yeah. I mean, look, we don't know that anything untoward has happened. But mm-hmm. as soon as you see something change like this and they've specifically opened up these 15 plots of land. And the reason that they did is they said, look, these plots of land are all adjacent to other housing developments. They are yeah. ready to be developed and can be done so quickly. And there's they claim there's no government claims there's nothing uh, environmentally controversial about doing that. 
mm-hmm. other people say not so. Um, environmentalists so, are concerned for sure. So for with uh, just you know and help me through this as well. Um, parts of this green belt are, are any of it privately owned, or is any of it privately owned? Oh yeah, yeah. Some parts okay, of it. So are. There yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, like and, there's, it's farm. There's farm, like lots of it, like farmland, yeah. and it's not all crown land. No, it isn't. Okay, and I know the municipalities that are going to be affected are like King Township, yeah, um, Vaughan, parts of Vaughan, Richmond Hill, uh, Whitchurch, Stouffville, Markham, Pickering, uh, Clarington, and then you know back further to the the west, I guess uh, Hamilton. But um, the mayor of Ajax, and this was in your article as well, he said. You know, the development could be okay only if what's being developed is a high-density mixed use. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, mixed with, you know, commercial and and good residential housing, right? Because you just can't be plopping people out in the middle of nowhere and yeah, well, yeah, you know, yeah. going more urban sprawl. Well, and that's the thing is there's a real, I mean, this is going to be a real challenge for planners because we have, we know that they don't want just subdivisions uh, with no schools or services or or shops. You know, it's it's. I mean, there there it has to be thoughtfully planned. And is it going to be? I don't know. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, the the suburban sprawl uh, is uh, is a problem, and there needs to be some there needs to be some thoughtful solutions. You can't just put people far from you know anywhere else and then not have enough roads or transit for them you know so i think yeah. i think there's there's a lot of challenges and i i get i get that they feel this uh this you know gun at their head about uh, about having to build 1.5 million houses in 10 years uh but all of those houses can't be at young and bluer you know what i mean like they're all these hmm. homes they, those homes have to be have to be somewhere and i think they realize that They've got to make those these these new communities attractive. One of the things that they're they're doing is a, a, a lot more transit hub kind of uh, development. So if there's a transit station, you'll have deep, more density there. I think that's actually probably smart. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, it's never it's and and there's whole swaths of Toronto that that I, it it makes no sense to me. For example, along parts of Bloor Street West, parts of the Danforth, where it's two stories and there's no density there. And yet you have a subway line and you have wide roads and you have bike lanes and you have wide sidewalks. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like yeah, there exactly. needs to be more density allowed in those kinds of places for sure. And that will definitely um, make a dent on the problems yeah. that we have here. Yeah. Definitely along, well. along Eglinton, look how wide Eglinton is. And uh, you and I know parts of Eglinton, we're in Little Jamaica. There, like it's mm-hmm. two stories, and yet they're now going to have a subway, basically with the uh, with the crosstown when if if it ever gets finished, <laughs> it's about a year away, yeah. I think. But but yeah. that's that's a huge opportunity for housing um, in in a really really key neighborhood. So that basically a neighborhood that goes from you know basically Etobicoke all the way to Scarborough, a stretch like along Eglinton, and there's parts of, there's density at Young and Eglinton. And and maybe a little bit at Bayview, but there's not there's and and in parts of Scarborough, but there there needs to be more thought put into that. Yeah, no, definitely, Rob. So, Rob, you're an objective journalist, and we're just about ready to wrap up here. But I just want to get your opinion on on the plan, uh, this more homes built faster act. I love the name. Uh, just a quick quick recap from you on where do you where, where do you think it's going to go? Is it feasible as we wrap up here? Well, I'll be honest, Des, I think it's it's ambitious for sure. Has some of it feels a bit rushed, 
Um, I think this is like the third or fourth housing plan they've had since they came into government in 2018. So they 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 are modifying it a lot. Um, And frankly, the the 1.5 million target always sounded to me like it was designed for an election manifesto rather than anything practical. When to 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 get an average of 150,000 housing starts when the best year you've done was 100,000 in 35 years kind of makes it seem like, wow, you're really. But I do understand, like, like I mean, we worry, you and I worry about our kids. Like, are they going to be able to afford houses in, in the GTA? Or uh, where are all these folks going to live who are moving here and, and want to make a contribution to Ontario? They've got to find a place to live. And I think, I think that's, I, I, I understand the thinking behind the plan. I really do. And I think, I think, you know, you got to give them some credit for at least saying, look, we're going to try to do something, whether they're going to be able to do it. That is another story. I'm I'm not sure because it's really, really going to be hard to build that many houses without ticking off so many different stakeholders, whether it's conservation people or environmentalists or people, NIMBYists and, you know, NIMBYists from basically, mm-hmm. you know, Mississauga to, to you know, uh, Milton to uh, uh, Pickering or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, to answer your question about our children being able to afford a house, I think with this aggressive plan that they have here of 1.5 million houses, our children should get it, should go into the trades. Exactly. You know what? It's, it's, <laughs> and, there's a, there's a lot of build these houses. There. They'll make a lot of money. <laughs> there's a lot of opportunities there. And when that's one of the things, it's funny, Monty McNaughton, the labor minister, has been making a huge push at saying to people, look, it's good that people want to go to university, but there are other options. If you don't feel universities for you, there are trade colleges. They'll basically pay for your education in some trades uh, if you just go there just because there's so much labor shortage. And then these kids graduate at 20 years old or 21 years old and they're making six figures. Yeah, easily. Yeah. A trade with a little bit of business acumen oh, yeah. will take you a long way. And especially with a with a, a project or the plans that the provincial government has for us. Rob Benzie is the Queens Park Bureau Chief of the Toronto Star. Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Des. So that's our latest episode of Sold in the Six. It really is an aggressive plan. 1.5 million houses in the next 10 years. I guess only time will tell. So, if you liked this episode of Sold in the Six, feel free to subscribe, and if you really liked it, send it to a friend. If you need to get in touch with me, you can reach out by email. My email address is des at desmondbrown.ca. I'm also on all of the social media platforms, and my handle is des in the six, and the six is spelled number six, I-X. Until next time, I'm Desmond Brown. This is Story Studio Network.